Lesson 2, or part 2 of How to Think Like Jesus Christ. Pause, pray, prepare. Our second lesson is inspired by Jesus' anti-religious stance. In the Gospel, a word, which means good news in the Gospels, not bad news, the only people he really doesn't seem to like are religious people, particularly religious professionals, well-educated religious professionals. The way Jesus teaches is repeatedly described as speaking as one with authority and not like the scribes and Pharisees. As you and I begin to think like Jesus Christ, think like God, we will also begin to speak like Jesus Christ, speak like God with authority. Hey, even winds and waves understood this authority. Before you and I get too excited, there is a pause to prepare before we speak too authoritatively. For Jesus, this pregnant pause was 30 years. Of course, I'm using pregnant pause in a whole new way here. A period where there is gestation ready for birth. Are you ready for a whole new realm, a whole new chapter, a whole new act in your life? I am. Imagine the confusion for most people who knew Jesus' family. He arrives on earth heralded by angels and worshipped by both shepherds and wise men from the east. As a young man, he astounds the teachers of the law in the temple. But in between, there is silence. What happens in this silence, this quiet time, this pause? In the spirit, I believe the answer revolves around this verse. Jesus said to the religious leaders, You are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. That's in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, verse 29. This was spoken to the religious leaders who were trying to discredit Jesus. Here was a country preacher who hadn't been through their official education system. He wasn't accredited. The cheek of it! More than this, here he was suggesting that they, people who dedicated the time of their lives to knowing the scriptures, didn't know those very scriptures. Talk about how to win friends and influence people. I don't think Jesus had read that book. He took 30 years to sharpen the axe. What did Jesus do during that 30-year hiatus, that pause? He learned. A pattern you'll see in Scripture time and time again is a positive wilderness experience. There are negative wilderness experiences, but there are also positive wilderness experiences. Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist and Jesus, to name but a few, all go off into the remote areas where they get what modern thinkers would call a download from God. Jesus knew the scriptures, but even he didn't kick off his activity, his ministry, until he also knew the power of God. Stephen R. Covey, a Mormon, dedicated to Christian thinking, co-wrote one of the most influential leadership books in modern history, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Habit seven is the act of preparing oneself before action. Sharpen the saw. Abraham Lincoln is quoted in many ways along the lines of, if I had nine hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first six sharpening my axe. Two-thirds of the time, sharpening his axe. To think like Jesus Christ, to think like God, we need first to prepare by sharpening our axe, which means getting to know the Father 
and the Word. And then it is only when we know the power of God, who is the Holy Spirit, can we really enter into the phase where we fulfil the mission we began learning about in Lesson 1. I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly, in excess. I love it. This is good news. We know what to do. There are certain steps we can take that are well within our circle of control. And becoming filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed to be clothed with power from on high, is within our circle of influence. Let's move ahead now with some passion and pace. What Jesus did in the wilderness. In those 30 years, Jesus got to know the Father in the way you and I need to get to know the Father. And he learned the scriptures. One of the greatest deceptions spread by the church, small c, is that Jesus was different, therefore we can never be like him. This is a dangerous half-truth. Of course Jesus was different. And of course there were aspects of his ministry that you and I will never have to do. But he also came as the model of how we should be as Christians, capital C. We, the students, must follow the example of our teacher. And then, when we are fully trained, we will be like our teacher. This is what God expects of us. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 30. A theme we will be picking up in a later lesson is Jesus' harsh treatment of the disciples. Now I'm saying harsh to get your attention here. When there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee that threatens their very lives, Jesus was harsh with the disciples after they woke him up and he had to sort out the mess. Where is your faith? was his retort. When Peter failed to keep up his amazing attempt to walk on the water in a storm, by the way, Jesus said, why did you doubt? If it was an unrealistic expectation for the disciples to still the storm and for Peter to walk on the water, Jesus was harsh and frankly wrong. However, if we can realistically be expected to quell storms, silence hurricanes and walk on water, Jesus spoke the truth and was not harsh in his high expectations of the disciples and so of you and me. What he expected of them, he expects of us. And there is the next deception, to think the disciples were different. Of course the disciples were different. They had been with Jesus and were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. However, the Apostle Paul, that abundantly minded thinker who wrote 28% of the New Testament, was not an eyewitness to Jesus' ministry. By the way, if you want to understand my justification of 28% of the New Testament, there are approximately 179,000 words in the New Testament. I say approximately because it depends how you transliterate the Greek, of which Paul contributed just over 50,000. 179,000, 50,000, that makes someone who didn't meet Jesus in the flesh the writer of nearly a third of the New Testament. Paul, who describes himself as the worst of sinners, saw the resurrected Jesus when he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. After this, Paul learned to walk and to work like the pre-resurrected Jesus. Paul experienced healing himself and became a champion of the Holy Spirit, seeing healings, deliverances and raising from the dead. We who learn to think like Jesus Christ, we who learn to think like the Father, we who learn to think like the Holy Spirit, 
are supposed to do the works of Jesus Christ, which are the works he saw his Father doing. He and the Father are one. We and Jesus are one. If we continue to grow and to do what he tells us. Here's our next call to action. What are the practical physical action steps we can take to respond to lesson two? We must get to know the Father. We must learn to pray effectively and we must take dedicated time aside to do this. We must have our own positive wilderness experiences, our own quiet times, our own times of silence. To get to know the Father, we must get to know Jesus. For Jesus said to see him was to see the Father. He and the Father are one, identical in character, will and intent. This means a prayerful response to years spent in the scriptures. That's what you and I have got to do. We have to immerse ourselves in the scriptures for years. When we get to know them, we get to know him. This is something we can do. This is something within our own control. The other part is more in God's hands. Nevertheless, we can influence that outcome. We can put ourselves in the right place for the right time. Yes, there is a right time for everything. That's the theme of our next lesson. For mankind, any time is right, but not for God. What is the other part then? The other part would be better explained by asking a different question. Who is the other? The other is the power of God, the Holy Spirit. We have had two errors mentioned so far, shared by the church, small c. That is, that we are different from Jesus and we are different from the disciples. Firstly then, that Jesus was so different, we should not expect to do what he did in terms of a miraculous ministry in this day and age. Secondly, that the disciples were so different, we should not expect to do what they did in terms of miraculous ministries. Let me let you into a secret. We are not supposed to be sitting here, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for God to return and sort out everything. God is not coming back to sort out our own mess. We are supposed to be sorting out our own mess. I was thinking the other day of nature and nurture, looking at somebody's beautifully articulated, organised garden. And I thought, what a beautiful fusion of nature, as God intended, and man's mankind's job, humankind's job to be stewards of nature, to nurture the garden. We're supposed to bring Eden back into being. We are called, we have a vocation, the literal meaning of calling. We are called, we have a vocation. Vocation means calling, to sort everything out. However, the however is the Holy Spirit. The disciples didn't get a recommendation from Jesus, they got a command. That command was, behold, I send out the promise of my Father on you, but wait in the city of Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. That is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. Emphasis in my voice added by me. Jesus didn't enter into ministry until the right time. Jesus didn't enter into ministry until he had prepared himself to know the Father and the Word for 30 years. The apostles and early church believers did not enter into the realm of the miraculous kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, until they were clothed with power from on high. Jesus said the works that he did, he didn't do on his own back, he did what he saw the Father doing, he did it by the Spirit. 
He said the works that he did, we would do too. And greater works than these. So let's think about when we are clothed with power from on high. When we are clothed with power from on high, we'll know about it, trust me. And Jesus was clear, we're in a better position than when he walked the earth in his pre-resurrection form with the disciples. How could that possibly be the truth? Well, that's what he says, and I believe what he says. He said it was to our advantage that he went away. Why? So he could send the promise of his Father, the promised Holy Spirit, the promise throughout the scriptures, the greatest gift after salvation is the empowerment by the Holy Spirit, to have God come and live inside us as his temple, with and only with the Holy Spirit's help. We are expected to do greater works than those that Jesus did during his initial three years of ministry. I say his initial three years of ministry because the idea is that Jesus continues to minister through us, the body of Christ, the body of the anointed one. Christ means anointed one. Let us press pause and give ourselves diligently to the study of the scriptures, especially the gospels, so that we may understand the model, Jesus Christ. Let us press pause and press into knowing the Father through prayerful reflection back to him of his expectations in those selfsame scriptures. And let's get to know the Holy Spirit. Let us press pause, building ourselves up on our most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, and we'll be sharing more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a later lesson. But let me say it here. We've got to know the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. When we've done these things, and when it is the right time, both those things need to be in position. We've done these things, and it's the right time. We will be able to echo the words of Jesus at his inauguration. Quoting Isaiah, he says, let me read a little bit in the passage around that. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. That's part of the 30 years. He entered, as was his custom. So this was his habit. He entered, as was his custom, into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Yahweh, is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to deliver those who are crushed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began to tell them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. You too are here to fulfill scripture. You too are here to fulfill that scripture. Let me read it again. The Spirit of the Lord is on you because he has anointed you to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to deliver those who are crushed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Wow. When we are anointed... And that's where the word Christ comes from, the anointed one. When we are anointed, clothed with power from on high, 
baptized in the Holy Spirit, we are sent forth into the world to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, proclaim release to the captives, bring recovering of sight to the blind, deliver those who are crushed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Let's make some powerful points. Firstly, telling the poor that God loves them and that they are meant to stay poor is not preaching good news to the poor. The good news is that God hates poverty with a passion and has made a covenant, an unbreakable agreement with Jesus, guaranteed by Jesus' own lifeblood, that he gives us the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. Jesus didn't wipe out the Old Testament, he fulfilled it. And in the Old Testament, it says it is Yahweh, the Father, who gives us the power to get wealth, make wealth, create wealth, get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. Jesus bore all the curses of the old covenant and accessed for us in Christ all the blessings. If you are a proper Christian, you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you believe with all your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you're seeking to obey what he says, then the blessings of the old covenant and the new covenant are yours. They find their yes and amen in Jesus. Secondly, the most terrifying scripture for me is the sheep and the goats in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. I'm not going to read it here. I'm just going to give you the key message. In this, Jesus declares that whatever we didn't do for the equivalent of the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, the sick, the crushed, we didn't do to him, and it counts. Or flipped into the positive, whatever we do do for anyone in need, we do to Jesus. It's like it's accredited to our account. Every random act of kindness, every unrandom act of kindness that you do, it's as if, in God's eyes, you're doing it to Jesus, giving that person a glass of water, buying the big issue, helping people get their sight back through medical means as well as miraculous means. It's as if you've done it for Jesus. Homing the homeless, feeding the hungry. The 17 Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations are righteous goals in God's sight. He wants us to be good stewards of this beautiful planet that he's given us to enjoy. Okay, this means that even during our pause period, where we're getting to know the Father, getting to know Jesus, getting to know the Word, getting to know the Holy Spirit, developing our prayer life, our meditation life, meditation on the Word there, even during that quiet period of learning and development, we must do good to the poor, the sick, the confused, the brokenhearted, the homeless, the hungry, anyone in any need. To achieve this with knowledge that our giving is carefully curated, I recommend B1G1.com, which stands for Buy One, Give One, Business for Good. Started by Masami Sato, just an amazing woman, who began to give high-quality soup to people who couldn't afford it. Every time a customer bought one of her beautiful soups, she gave one away to someone who couldn't afford it. Quality gifts, not some horrible stuff, good, healthy gifts. And through an interaction 
on an entrepreneur's retreat in Bali, she had this vision of buy one, give one. She said, if you sell vision, by which she meant television, then give the gift of vision. Do you know, 67 cents, 67 cents, less than a dollar. 70p English people, depending on the rate of um, a currency conversion there, 60p can save somebody's eyesight. Now, I would love to be laying hands on people and have them receive their hearing back, receive their eyesight, make the dumb speak, etc. All these wonderful things that Jesus wants us to do. But there is no excuse in the meantime not to do good. Cornelius, who was the breakthrough Roman centurion in the book of Acts, um, you know, where Peter comes down and he preaches the gospel to them and the Holy Spirit falls on them like he did on the apostles and the disciples at Pentecost. Um, Cornelius is remembered before God because of his acts of kindness and goodness to the poor. So we have to do good, whether it's in the power of the Spirit or not. It's in the Spirit of the Spirit. Buy one, give one then, is um, something that's really recommended to you in this broadcast today. Now, if you're a Christian, you'll most appropriately say, Lex, that's not an explicitly Christian organisation. I agree. And I'd also say I'm sharing this on a business site, first of all, on LinkedIn, is where I'm choosing to put the first excerpts from this book out and on LinkedIn many of my readers and listeners and viewers do not yet share a like faith with me but nevertheless they wish to make a positive difference in the world. How to think like Jesus Christ is not just for Christians. I've met many people who conduct their lives as if they were better Christians than the majority of Christians I've met. Remember Jesus isn't polite or kind to religious professionals. The proof is in the pudding, is an English cliche. Uh, in other words, by their fruit you will know them. Good fruit, good folks. And buy one, give one has the tagline, business for good. The 17 sustainable development goals of the United Nations are for good. Whatever we do to others, it's as if we are doing it to Jesus. Now there's a thought, isn't there? Everything, whatever we do to others, it's as if we are doing it to Jesus. Thirdly then, this work is called How to Think Like Jesus Christ and not How to Think Like Jesus. So what's the difference? Christ means anointed one. You're supposed to be one. Lex, are you saying I'm supposed to be the Christ? No, I'm not. I'm saying you are supposed to be God's anointed, a Christ. David was a Christ. Elijah, Isaiah, Paul, Peter, John, James, they were all anointed. There is only one Christ who died for us, but you and I are supposed to be anointed. In fact, we're supposed to pause until we are clothed with power from on high, which is the language of the anointing. That's what being a Christian means. Let me quote from Wikipedia, which is not always the truth, but uh, quite a useful source. The etymology of the word Christian, Christonos, means follower of Christ. It comes from Christos, Christos meaning the anointed one, with an adjectival ending borrowed from Latin to denote adhering to or even belonging to as in slave ownership. And Paul talks a lot about us being slaves to Christ. Now that language there is also the language of covenant which we'll deal with in, our, in future lessons because we are in 
covenant commitment to the new covenant with Jesus, through Jesus to God the Father and the Holy Spirit, so that he can send the promised Holy Spirit. This is deeper stuff, and we'll take it gently as we move into that deeper stuff, but know that you are meant to have power, energy, dynamite, dunamis is the word we get dynamite from, clothed with dynamite like power, dynamic power from on high, the kingdom of heaven touching earth through your hands, the word of God heard on earth through your lips. Oh, we are to follow Jesus's example so closely that we become like him. And that means to become an anointed one. Finally, from this passage, now is the acceptable time of the Lord. This means that there is coming a time when this opportunity is over. There is urgency here. I have ranted before that if I quote Deepak Chopra, who's excellent, Anthony Robbins, who's amazing, Oprah Winfrey, who's changing the world, Wayne Dyer, bless him, Jim Rohn, a big favourite of many of my friends, or even the Buddha, the bloodless list is endless. I love them all and I love what they say. If I quote them, I get a ton of support on LinkedIn. But if I mention the teachings of someone who gave his blood, laid down his life so that you and I could have a better life and have it more abundantly, some say, I'm a Jesus freak. I'm preaching. Yes, I am a Jesus freak. And yes, I am preaching. And yes, I love you. And yes, I want you to have the best life possible. And yes, I want you and I to be the best versions of ourselves that we could possibly be. And yes, I believe Jesus is God. And yes, I believe he has a plan for you and a plan for me. In fact, I know he has a plan for us because he said so. He said, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope to prosper you. So folks, we're going through difficult times. It doesn't matter. If we tap into knowing the Father, press into knowing Jesus in the Word, press in and embrace the Holy Spirit who is sent to us so that we shall not be orphans. We have not been abandoned. I'm preaching good news of expensive, dearly bought, valuable benefits that are freely available for a little while longer. I mentioned in one of these messages that we're facing the China crisis and people would say, well, don't point the finger at China. But China has a long established record of abuse of human rights and particularly of Christians. What's happening now, in some ways, is just... Oh, how can you say that, Lex? We've messed up the planet. If you mess up your room, your room's in a mess. If you mess up the planet, the planet's in a mess. What does mum and dad say when we're little? Clean up your room. What does our heavenly father say? Clean up your planet. You made this mess. Get on with it. I am very pro the Chinese. There are so many millions of believers in China that God will have mercy. But let's not be naive. Jesus made a whip and he cleared the money changers out of the temple. Jesus is not a tree-huggy, nighty-wearing long-haired hippie that we see in some of the pictures. He is the Word of God, and the Word of God is sharper and living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It has come 
to bring division on earth between those who are going to choose business for good, like buy one, give one, and those who are going to go, no, I'm going to serve two other gods. And those two other gods are me, M-E, mammon, which is materialism, and entitlement. And what I'm seeing at the moment is a much stronger division between those who feel they are entitled to certain things and those who are worshipping the money. If you are following the money and you are making your decisions based on money, you are in the wrong. There are much higher drivers. Money is good. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Material wealth is very, very much part of the biblical model of abundant life. I have come that you have life and have it more abundantly in excess so that you can be generous on every occasion. But the love of money is a snare. I'm going to stop there because I'll probably get into more trouble. The point is you and I have been given the mission to sort out this mess. And we've been given the way to do that, which is get to know the word, get to know Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit. Get clothed with power, energy, dynamite from on high and bring the kingdom of heaven into the earth. Touch heaven, touch earth. Oh, wow. Well, if you can't tell I'm excited, I'm obviously not putting enough power into my voice. It's a long lesson, but a practical one today. I have a dedicated podcast channel, uh, which you may be listening to this on. And uh, in the LinkedIn article, you'll see the links to that podcast, which is on Amazon's Alexa, on Apple the podcast, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, and several other channels as well, like TuneIn. So there's every opportunity for you to drink in the scriptures. I often share a message which is just the scriptures, just reading the scriptures. Um, or you'll get encouraging messages like this one as well but thank you for tuning in i'm so excited about your future my future our future together we can bring the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven into people's earthly experiences that they might live long and prosper that they might have and enjoy life to the full amen <laughs>